Well, hey, everyone. Is that not great? Thank you so much. Yeah. Gosh, I just got back from uh, a retreat where I got to sing with some. It's just, it feels like a family, and I love it when I can stand up front and, and I can hear and pick out all those voices of the people that I know and love, and uh, it's always special. Um, well, tonight, we are continuing in our Shook series, um, and as part of the Shook series, what we're really doing is just directly reading scripture um, and, and letting it kind of just hit us in as authentic a way as possible. Um, and we can kind of see how what Jesus is saying is, is really, really controversial in his day and even today, and it's shaking things up. Um, but tonight, we have quite a bit of a passage, I will warn you. Um, and so I want to just set it up like this. Um, we're going to be reading for about 10 minutes of reading, and then I'm partially dyslexic, so we're going to work in like another 30 seconds of me fixing mistakes. Um, So it's fine. Uh, So what I want you to do as as we're reading and we're reading along, be thinking about two really main things. One, what are the the people that Jesus is talking to? So what are the distinct encounters that he's, he's having? And then two, what are they expecting he's going to say, or what is the expectation of this encounter, and what does Jesus actually respond, and, and how do they kind of handle that? So um, as we get into this, uh, sit back, relax. This is Mark chapter 11. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord needs it, and he will send it back here shortly. They went and found a colt outside in the street, tied at the doorway. As they untied it, some people standing there asked, what are you doing untying that colt? They answered as Jesus had told them to, and the people let them go. When they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, and while others spread branches, they had cut in the fields. They, those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest! Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple courts. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. The next day, as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to find out if it had any fruit. But when he reached it, he found nothing but leaves, because it was not the season for figs. Then he said to the tree, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And the disciples heard him say it. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, is it not written, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. The chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill him, for they feared him, because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. When evening came, Jesus and his disciples went out of the city. In the morning, as they went along, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots. Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed has withered. 
Have faith in God, Jesus answered. Truly I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in their heart, but believes what, that what they say will happen, it will be done for them. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. And when you stand praying, if you hold, against, hold anything against anyone, forgive them so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins." They arrived again in Jerusalem, and while Jesus was walking in the temple courts, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders came to him. By what authority are you doing these things, they asked, and who gave you authority to do this? Jesus replied, I will ask you one question. Answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I'm doing these things. John's baptism, was it from heaven or of human origin? Tell me. They discussed it amongst themselves. If we say from heaven, he will ask, then why didn't you believe him? But if we say of human origin, well, they feared the people, for everyone held that John was really a prophet. So they answered Jesus, we don't know. Jesus said, neither will I tell you by what authority I am doing these things. Jesus then began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard, he put a wall around it, dug a pit for the wine press, and built a watchtower. Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and moved to another place. At harvest time, he sent a servant to the tenants to collect from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. But they seized him, beat him, and sent him away empty-handed. Then he sent another servant to them. They struck this man on the head and treated him shamefully. He sent still another, and this one they killed. He sent many others. Some of them they beat, others they killed. He had one left to send, a son whom he loved. He sent him last of all saying, they will respect my son. But the tenant said to one another, this is the heir. Come, let's kill him and the inheritance will be ours. So they took him and they killed him and they threw him out of the vineyard. What then will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and he will kill those tenants and give the vineyard to others. Haven't you read this passage of scripture? The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Then the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders looked for a way to arrest him because they knew that he had spoken the parable against them. But they were afraid of the crowd, so they left him and went away. Later, they sent some of the Pharisees and Herodians to Jesus to catch him in his words. Catch him in his words. There you go, see? They came to him and said, Teacher, we know that you are a man of integrity. You aren't swayed by others because you pay pay no attention to who they are. But you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? Should we pay or shouldn't we? But Jesus knew their hypocrisy. Why are you trying to trap me, he asked. Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. They brought the coin and he asked them, Whose image is this and whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then Jesus said to them, Give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. And they were amazed at him. Then the Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, came to him with a question. Teacher, they said, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife but no children, the man must marry the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. 
Now there were seven brothers. The first one married and died without leaving any children. The second one married the widow, but he also died, leaving no child. But it was the same with the third. In fact, none of the seven left any children. Last of all, the woman died too. At the resurrection, whose wife will she be since the seven were married to her? Jesus replied, are you not in error because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God? When the dead rise, they will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven. Now about the dead rising, have you not read the book of Moses in the account of the burning bush, how God said to him, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. You are badly mistaken. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating, noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer. He, he asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Well said, teacher, the man replied. You are right in saying that God is one and there is no other but him. To love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, and with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all the burnt offerings and sacrifices. Then Jesus saw that he had answered wisely. He said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And from then on, no one dared to ask him any more questions. While Jesus was teaching in the temple courts, he asked, why do the teachers of the law say that the Messiah is the son of David? David himself, speaking by the Holy Spirit, declared, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David himself called him Lord. How then can he be his son? The large crowd listened to him with delight. As he taught, Jesus said, watch out for the teachers of the law. They walk around in flowing robes and being greeted with respect and like being greeted with respect in the marketplaces and have the most important seats in the synagogue and the places of honor at banquets. They devour widows' houses for a show, make lengthy prayers. These men will be punished most severely. Jesus sat opposite the place where the offerings were put and he watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put only two small copper coins worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples, he said, Jesus said, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more in the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put everything, all she had to live on. That was a ride. Do you feel like the little whiplash? You just kind of speed bump? Yeah. Well, that's that. Two chapters. Jesus moves from being welcomed and celebrated. He's here. Hosanna. To the leaders of the church, uh, leaders of the Jewish synagogue, all, all these different people, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, they're all plotting to have him murdered. Like me and Dion have had some tough conversations, but I don't think it's gone that far. Um, this leadership was mad. They did not like him. And so uh, what I love about reading these interactions is that, uh, and I don't know if you, you caught it, 
but in every single one of these interactions, um, I count 11 uh, distinct kind of interactions. Um, maybe there's a little more. Jesus is just kind of working at another level. Like they're kind of going in with a question and he's turning it on them and they're going, ah, oh, man, they got, they got me. And they come back, send a new group, send a new group. And it's just, he's just kind of on this, this extra high level of interaction and knowledge and wisdom. And he's able to, to talk through these things. Uh, and, and it's so fast paced, one thing after another, after another. Um, but in all of them, he kind of just makes, he, he makes people uncomfortable. He makes people question reality, trying to figure out what's going on. Uh, he, he prophesies about borrowing a donkey, which is hilarious to me. Um, he yells at a fig tree, uh, which he knows isn't in season, so, you know, he's doing something there. Um, he clears uh, the temple. Uh, he talks about prayer. He outwit, outwits chief priests, scribes, elders. Uh, he tells a parable about how greedy people kill his, the beloved son of the father. I don't know what that could possibly be about. Um, he talks about taxes. He answers some weird hypothetical question about a girl who marries seven dudes and can't have a child. Um, couldn't, couldn't come up with a more normal question than, than Sadducees. Um, he's impressed at a scribe's understanding. He teaches about how David and his relationship work. And he praises this poor widow for his trust in God, all in two chapters. So in a, in a few minutes, I, I just have a couple minutes here. Um, I don't really want to resolve these or try to explain them super deeply. I, that, that'd be impossible, obviously. There's too much. Um, but what I, what I do want to do is I want to just kind of think and, and witness together how Jesus um, is taking these established ways of how life works in Jerusalem and, and kind of for the Jewish people. Um, and he just kind of shifts it. He flips it. He starts teaching this new way, this new way of living. Um, and, and one of those ways, uh, kind of the, the first thing, is just he makes this, he makes a way for all people to come to God. Um, this statement, house of prayer for all nations. That's from Isaiah um, originally, but Jesus quotes it here. Um, those merchants, uh, most, most people think that he was in the Gentile court, which is part of the temple, kind of one of the outer courts where uh, the non-Jewish people could come and worship. Um, and they had turned it into kind of a bazaar. There was just, uh, there was people selling stuff. And then there's also the people that kind of were supposed to be there, people that were uh, helping out with the, the, the temple tax and all those things. Um, the sellers of doves, it talks about those. Um, but what Jesus, and, and we always say this, if you read your Bible, there's always the heading, like the cleansing of the temple. That's not the best description because Jesus, as we kind of have seen, he's not really trying to fix the temple. Jesus didn't come to clean up Judaism. He didn't come to just, oh, let's get this temple, let's get these leaders fixed and then we'll keep on going on. No, Jesus has come uh, to change the whole concept of temple. Um, so what he's doing here. Um, is, is bigger than just, you know, hey, he's mad at some people. Um, he is, he's moving into this new way of doing temple in which, and very shortly we're going to see, hey, the, the new temple is just within people. Uh, the people are now going to be the temple. No temple required. Um, God is going to live there. So it, it's this, this 
starting of this whole new narrative of how um, we're to see uh, what it is to worship and what it is to, to congregate and where God is and how we connect with him. And then kind of connected with all this temple stuff and the, and the money changers, Jesus doesn't like how people are prioritizing uh, status and wealth over people. A couple, a couple of things here. He says that the kingdom of God is where uh, relationships are prior, prioritized and marked by love. And so he, he has that interaction where he says, yeah, the, the, the greatest commandment is that we keep God first. And then the second, like it, you know, love your neighbor as yourself. These are, these are connected ideas um, that what it's like to be in the kingdom of God is where relationally we're, we're connected through love and we're prioritizing God and we're prioritizing people. He doesn't say anything about all these other things that these people are prioritizing, the status, the wealth, making sure that they get better seats. He, in fact, he warns those, he warns against the people that seek public attention, who, who say prayers out in public so that they get recognized, to make sure they get the best seats so more people can see that they have a really high position. He praises a poor widow um, instead of the rich because of her kind of faithful offering. It's not about the money in that, in that situation. It's not about uh, a numbers thing. It's about this, this woman is giving in such a way that she has to actually and totally rely on God to take care of her needs. And then he tells this parable where greedy people in a pursuit of wealth and status are driven to murder. So... Uh, as we kind of think through this, I, I just want to um, end our time here in just a couple minutes. I want you to reflect and kind of put yourself in the shoes of these people. What would it be like for you to be here and Jesus is saying these things? And it kind of comes down to this. Are you, are you going to embrace Jesus' new ways as he's teaching, as he's going, as he's acting out and doing, as he's cleansing, as he's lifting people up, as he's, he's having these hard conversations with these authority figures, he's pushing them to, to, to reprioritize things. Um, are you going to embrace these new ways or are you going to resist the new ways? And if I'm honest, I get a little uncomfortable when I read these because I'm there. I have had plenty of thoughts where I'm, I'm like, yeah, like, I mean, money can a little buy happiness. Uh, so it'd be kind of nice to have a little bit more of that. Um, I work at, at a church and, you know, it's like, what if I, I mean, I could work at a bigger church. That'd probably make me look cooler. Um, or maybe, I don't know, like, you know, Pua. What if, if my, my mindset would just be like, well, what if the students liked me more than Pua? That would be pretty cool. I could, I could, I could get by with that. In fact, what if I post certain things on social media that make my life look a little bit extra and a little bit extra cool? And people go, oh, John's got it going on. I want to hang out with him. Yeah. As a teenager and and probably even into my 20s a little bit, um, these things were, were, were big for me. Um, Maybe I'm overblowing a little bit, but um, gosh, yeah, I wanted to, I want people to really look highly at me. I want people to think I was smart, think I was funny. Um, and I failed at that. Um, no, uh, <laughs> but 
as I've gotten a little bit older, and I'm not to the point where I, I could be called old yet, except for the middle schoolers call me that, but I'm 28, um, and I've seen how actually, when you start living this new way, this way about people, this way about God, this way about inclusivity, this way about um, making sure that everyone knows that God loves them and cares for them, um, and not worrying about my own situation of, of status, um, this ground, this path that I thought was going to be really shaky and risky, um, actually has turned out to be filled with joy and love and friendship uh, and family. And it's been just a huge blessing on my life, even just in the past few years. Um, but it pushes you. It, it kind of looks like, you know, like, uh, oh, Jesus, they can, they're going to come worship here too? Okay, they're a little weird, but you're in charge. Oh, them too? Cool, cool, cool. All right, all right, yeah, okay. Everyone's welcome, that's right. Yeah, it's hard to, hard to let sink in. Helping people um, that maybe weird you out. I don't know if you have a few of those in your mind that you're like, oh, they're here. I don't know. Um, yeah, how do you love them and learning that, learning how to deal with that? Uh, this is, this path of opening up yourself and trusting Jesus, even though his reframes and his reworks are a little bit different than what the world tells you is the goal of the human life. Um, we follow Jesus's ways because uh, they free us from this prison of humanized, human organized order where we, um, we have set up this tier system about who matters. And, and what Jesus does, is he frees us from this stuff. Jesus speaks really strongly about, uh, about these religious authorities because what they've done is they've stopped seeking to be servants and stewards of people and sought to be owners and lords. I still don't know what that parable was about. Um, so I just, I just want to leave you in this tension tonight. And, and it really just comes down to that question. As we see all of these interactions and Jesus is shaking up the norm, will you resist what he's doing or will you embrace it? And I know uh, for myself, I will take just one more step in my faith journey towards embracing the ways of Jesus. Would you pray with me? Jesus, thank you for... Um, boldly resisting our own corruption, for saying what needed to be said, for leading us into this new freeing way of lifting people up and reorganizing who matters in our minds and starting to see people like you see people through love and compassion. God, I just pray that everyone in here would uh, just reflect on maybe what it is that they consider to be most important in their lives. Some of those things that maybe they've over-prioritized. Um, and bring us all together as a community, as a family, as people who, um, from design by you, are here to love each other and lift each other up and care for each other and serve each other. Be stewards of our lives. God, I just pray that for everyone in here. And I pray that for myself.
Thank you so much. We lift this in your name.